Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Welcome back to the Digital Workplace Podcast. You are in for a treat today. We have Warren Whitlock on the show. He is the CEO of Sterling Corp. He's the host of the Distributed Conversations Podcast and an expert in emerging technologies. Warren, great to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Hi, great to be here. Well, Warren, I'm excited that you're on the show today because you have such a, a wide variety of experiences to share with us, and you're going to walk us through a lot of those things today. We're going to be talking about leadership. We're going to be talking about innovation and culture. But just start off giving us a little bit of background about who you are. Oh, good, good. Well, yes, of course, I have this breadth of experience. I'm old. <laughs> um, I've been through a lot of things. Actually, I never, I've never had a, a full-time job uh, that was paid on salary. Yeah. I've uh, had some salary commissions and things like that. And, uh, you know, I just basically out on my own all the time. I, I realized after losing three jobs in sales that uh, in 11 months, uh, one of them, I was a sales manager for six years and then two more. I realized that I didn't fit in with working for people. Yeah. Uh, never fired for ability to sell, whether I had an ability to sell. Um, just that, uh, you know, uh, I was young. I thought I knew more than. If I, by the way, if I was an employer, I would have fired me back then. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I've always had the idea that uh, making content and sharing things with people uh, is a good way to reach more people than you can reach just by one-on-one talking out of your mouth. You know, you can go up to every door and knock on it and try to sell your brushes, or you can um, uh, br- brushes. For those of you younger than 50, they used to sell brushes, fuller brushes door to door. Um, so <laughs> this used to sell many things door to door. Hi, is your mother home? Uh, no, I don't think she wants any. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I did a lot of door to door type selling in my youth uh, that uh, both as a, as a kid and then I, I was actually a missionary for a while and talked to a lot of people and from that experience, especially by the time I was trying to teach Buddhists about Christ- Christianity, a hard sell, we'll put it that, that yeah. way. Yeah, you got to really work uh, at that. Yeah, what I learned was what's the most efficient way to get to people? And I'm wondering why did they send me out here to go door to door when actually that's not what the instructions were. It's what you did if you didn't have something better to do. It's always been my, my mode to to try to get messages out to people. What I've learned after 40 years of missing a lot of innovations or getting the innovations, but not necessarily profiting them. I had a PC before anybody. I'm, I'm, I was born the same year as Gates and Jobs, um, which if you, you know, you go with the, um, oh, outliers, it was a good year to be born for microprocessors. Uh, I was a missionary while they were starting companies. So I, my first career was in radio. Uh, and uh, mostly off-air selling sales manager. And we found we learned that there's a lot more people that want to buy than ever are the, the people that are interested in you selling them. Hmm. Um, you know, people would rather buy it today more than ever. The idea of going door to door, well, <laughs> you're going to get somebody in a mask and a bat if you go door to door today. I've lived in five different houses in the last 15 years I've been in Las Vegas, met a lot of people, have a lot of friends. 
I don't know my neighbors. I've never introduced myself to the people next door. Hmm. Uh, I live on a corner. Uh, we go out of, out of the driveway, turn on the major street, and bam, we're, you know, in the rest of the world. I, you know, I don't know my Amazon driver because he just, you know, rings the bell and runs. Um, so it's like, uh, you know, we don't, we don't get to know people that way. And um, I would like to know my Amazon driver. I love talking to Uber drivers, uh, um, you know, and all that innovation. But back to innovation over the, over the last 40 years, what I've seen is I got a PC. I didn't necessarily invest in PCs. But now today, what I realized about that time is the people that went and worked for some startup, say Osborne Computers, uh, they called it a portable. It was really a luggable, uh, bigger than a sewing machine and, you know, not the kind of thing you just want to pop into the office with. And it would take, you know, 20 minutes to get it set up. So, uh, you know, it, it, not exactly leading edge by today's standard. But um, I love that company because it went from nowhere Osborne was a guy who wrote computer books. He went out and got some funding, started a computer company. Uh, he had millions of dollars invested and built his own campus, uh, buildings, tower, and and more, and uh, and was gone. And it seemed like it was that was eighteen months, hmm. uh, probably a little bit longer, but uh, but that's that's my memory of it. And I said, this is so much more exciting than reading business weeks to find out what's going on in the world. Yeah. Hmm. But what I really enjoyed was uh, the magazine was info world came once a week and I just devoured it. Cause it was talking about what's going on in Silicon Valley. And this is kind of like the time that they were moving to PCs. So, I, but what I figured out was none of those people that went horribly broke, uh, some probably got out of the industry into something else. But, you know, they're all doing okay because of that experience. Right. I learned a little bit about programming, found out that, you know, my eyes aren't good enough to see differences in the code. Today, you don't, you know, you don't do, do as much typing to code. But back then, uh, there's no way I'm going to be a coder. And so I kept at, you know, selling, understanding small businesses. And then had my own business, which was uh, in laser printers. So we were hardware tech sales service. We did the toner cartridges, you know, that that's 17 years. I refer to that my, as my 17 years in the suburbs raising children. And, uh, so the internet came along. I was on the internet in 1984. It's online before that with bulletin boards. Um, and, uh, and, and some, and a time sharing thing too long of a story to tell. Uh, when the social media came along, I, I was, you know, already into whatever it was. When blogging came along, I was already doing something like blogging, but it wasn't called blogging. The software got better for a blog and I go like, that's great. As soon as podcasting came along, great. I got to do that. And, um, you know, I was on LinkedIn the year it started, um, and Facebook as soon as they let the adults in. And <laughs> so when Twitter came along, I decided to write a book because I was promoting books at the time. Huh. And I thought I went to Amazon. I did my research. There was one reference to Twitter. It was a it was a bird in a children's book. Um, <laughs> and I'm going like, okay, I'm the first book about Twitter.com. I can do that. And we wanted to put together a book in 30 days. We essentially did. Uh, my co-author uh, Deb Cole, and uh, you know, and then we decided uh, she wanted to add a lot more to it. And we decided we had plenty of time, so we didn't come out for six months. We're still the first book published on 
uh, about Twitter. Wow. And at the time I owned a publishing company. And so that part was easy, but I had to go, um, oh man, the hassles I went through to get my book onto Kindle. Kindle was brand new. Uh, I had to have a distributor. The distributor wouldn't, um, um, what, didn't know what to do with that. Didn't know anything about writing the listing right for uh, Amazon. All very important things. If you're going to sell on Amazon, the list, the way the listing is written is everything. Uh, that in ads. Uh, but um, so in my spare time, I gained expertise as SEO because there was no SEO when I started doing it. Been doing my own SEO for 25 years now, and so, um, but. I didn't want to be in the social media business. I didn't want to be the trainer, the person that said, you know, how to adjust to this. I, I just knew that it was the next thing to do. So blockchain came along. I've changed my tune. Uh, I decided I'm in emerging technologies. This is what I'm good at. I'm always looking at the future. And so if you want to know about, you know, how the world's going to be five, 10 years from now, let's talk. Uh, that And then one of the things there, though, is if you innovate too too quickly, you're going to wind up with, uh, uh, you know, focus on the innovation instead of, you know, making sure that orders get shipped. And uh, I've done that wrong many times. Yeah, well, let's spend some time there because I think that's where a lot of leaders find themselves. They think of themselves as innovative, but they're also like committed to one business model. They're committed to one technology. So where's the line between going too far and being too obsessed with some new fancy sparkly thing yeah. out there? Yeah. When an entrepreneur friend tells me that they're going to learn coding, but the same guy tell me he was going to learn coding and he actually is pretty good at it uh, and go for a law degree. Wow. And, and he's an entrepreneur. I'm going like, you know, pick a path. <laughs> and he is a serial entrepreneur. He's done a lot of things. He's made millions. And while he was making these decisions to study and whatnot, he didn't have the millions. And so, um, you know, how will that turn out? I don't know. Uh, the next thing I heard from him, he was actually doing a marketing program in, um, in a legal field It partnered up with an attorney. So he didn't need to be the attorney and was doing quite well at it. So, you know, there's, there's ways to go on all of these things, but you know, do you really need to go to college and learn some more? Uh, in the middle of your business, I found out that, you know, it's not about, is there a, is there a clear path to it? It's trying stuff. Uh, and the reason I got into laser printers was I was paying a couple hundred dollars a month in typesetting, no big deal. Uh, I was making, you know, making money, uh, in the business and I needed typesetting on a regular basis, but it was a 30 minute drive over to pick it up. Uh, I almost never sent anybody else because I, you know, I wanted to make sure the work was right. I couldn't afford to wait till like, you know, the, the cycle going through three days to get the typesetting again. So I'd have to drive a half hour, half hour back. I hated doing that. Really nice person running the typesetting machine in her, in her garage. Uh, yes, for you youngsters, before there were, <laughs> before we all had beautiful desktop public documents, you had to pay to get typesetting and that was still computerized. You go back far enough, it's, you know, was you had to use molten lead to do typesetting for a newspaper. What is this you're talking about, Warren? These aren't real uh, stories, are they? Yeah, I'm going down a path here. <laughs> um, <and laughs> maybe I've gone too far. So I learned about all that kind of stuff. I wound up buying a laser printer. And uh, when I bought a laser printer, next thing I know, I'm in that business for 17 years. I pivoted. It was great. 
So you don't know where these things are going to happen. It's serendipity. But what I got to say, you've got to have some check on it to make sure that you're not, well, like what I just did with the story. I went off on, you know, five minutes of story where I could have just said, I happened to buy a laser printer and that started the business. That would have been enough. <laughs> so it's really easy to get carried away with that, that sort of thing. I want to do podcasts. So I'm going to go to podcast movement. I'm going to study which microphone to get. I'm going to, you know, do in-depth research about audio processing and blah, blah, blah. Or you could pick up a phone, talk into it. It's recorded on the other end and, and becomes an RSS string. Yeah. Um, and my biggest success in podcasting was blog talk radio, where I literally had a co-host who would tell guests, uh, we're not sure we can hear you. Can you lean the the laptop a little bit towards you so the <laughs> mic can pick you up? Um, you know, they wouldn't even call in. They would try to use their crappy uh, microphone. And uh, the balancing was off, that sort of thing. But you know what? We did 40 shows uh, for a book that we were writing and uh, led to just phenomenal things. Uh, the last episode, I interviewed... Uh, the Atari Chuck E. Cheese guy, uh, Nolan Bushnell, hmm. which one of the best interviews ever. Uh, and just like I, I still get goosebumps thinking I interviewed Nolan Bushnell, a hero from when when I first found out about Atari consoles <laughs> uh, and, and you know, arcade games back in the 70s. And so, uh, you know, you get to do things like that. When I introduce myself as a podcast host, opens a lot more doors than saying I own a small business. That's yeah, true. And so um, I do things like that, but you don't have to do all of them. You need to pick which one's going to work. I think more important to share with your audience is the positive side of that is you should be encouraging this kind of experimentation and innovation in all your staff. Yeah. And that was a question for me is thinking about like, if you're the type of person who's maybe not as naturally interested in that, does that mean you need to build that in with other people? Or is that something you need to model for others? What would you say? I think, well, you know, again, your company has to have a culture. I say today, the culture has to be innovation. You have to, I, I remember learning this from Tom Peters. Uh, this Tom Peters, uh, for those of you who don't, don't know, wrote the best-selling book of the eighties for business called in search of excellence, uh, identified some companies and what they were doing for excellence. Uh, because of corporate conglomerates and the way that things go, there's more studies done on how many of those companies are no, no longer household names. He tells a story about talking to uh, the, the Ford franchise owners, and this is in the 90s um, and maybe early aughts. I think it was 90s. And, he's, and there are so many Ford franchise dealers coming to the meeting, they have to hold it in three parts. So he had to do it three times to groups of 500. And he would always remind them of what he had learned at MIT. Look to the, your left, look to your right. One of the three of you is not going to be here at the end of, of this uh, program. Um, and he was saying that to the Ford franchisees, and they're laughing because they're, you know, successful, successful business owners. Some of the largest businesses in many towns are the, are the um, car dealers uh, and uh, in, because of sales volume. And uh, he says, no, it's not going to be that way. This is not, he wasn't telling him the internet was going to get him or we were going to do something different. He just said that, you know, world's changing so fast, you can't count on being in business in 10 years. What are you going to do about it? That was 25 years ago I heard that. It was at least 20. 
And now let's think about it. Again, he said, what has happened in the last 30 years? What do you think is going to happen in the next 30 years? That, well, that was, you know, fax machines were brand new when he started saying this. Today, what's changed? The iPhone changed the world so much that, uh, you know, and the other smartphones, of course, uh, but the internet and broadband and now 5G is going to mean that every human is going to be connected. If you're still trying to sell your your brushes door to door, you're, you, you know, well, you're dead now because that company's long gone. But, you know, if you're, if you're still thinking that cold calling is a way to do sales, you got something, you, it's wrong. I mean, if you, if you approach me and tell me you're, it, you know, you want Sterling to buy something, um, you better know who we are and what we do because it's out there. It's on the web. We got a site. We tell people what they do. If you approach Warren and you haven't Googled me, I, I found myself saying it by accident once. Somebody wanted to show me this phenomenal software and they wanted my opinion because it included social media and I was supposedly the guru. And so I get on this call. It's with a friend at, at an advertising agency. And this was new for the agency software. And he was promoting it. And he wanted me to be introduced to it because we were friends and he knew there would be some money to make. And, he, and so he's told me all this. He's told the other guy all this. They had a lunch and discussed me, and then we get on the phone call, and it was still a phone call. Uh, this is only 10 years ago, so it should have been video, but it wasn't back then. And the uh, first thing he says to me is, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Now, I'm on a podcast today, and you asked the same question. Sure. That's okay, because your listeners don't know about me. Right. But this guy coming into a meeting to try to sell me on something wants to spend 10 minutes getting to know me. I'm going like, have you not Googled me? And then I felt completely embarrassed because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal online, but you know, no brag, just fact. I don't really feel like I'm somebody that special, right? Sure, yeah. You know, million followers is no big deal. And, um, um, so, um, I, but I, what I realized is, yeah, I was right. I was rude, but I was right that I expect somebody to know who I am, what my company is. So when somebody contacts me with a blind email and says, um, you know, do you have any need for programmers? No, uh, that they may not know, but do you have any, we have a way of getting you all the leads you need. And they go like, well, I'm in the, I'm in the fortunate position of drowning in leads. Yeah. I, there are certain people I'm going after, but they're not, you know, I'm not going to get them by some automated program sending me leads. It's like, uh, I feel it's kind of like when they sold email addresses in the early days, they said 4 million email addresses on this CD. <laughs> and you, you know, you just knew it was spam because if it was on a CD. Somebody else bought the same, um, you know, they, they couldn't. And so when you figure out that things are just, dumb like that. You go like, I got to figure out a better way to do it. So I'm getting to know you. We're having a good time here. If we, you and I decide to talk about business between us or something, we got a rapport going. Right. And it's as simple. It's never been any different. It's exactly what I did when I went door to door. I, I remember as a kid watching how dad got out of the car. Uh, no, he rolled down the window because it wasn't self-serve gas back then. We're at a gas station. And they're checking the oil for us and doing all the things they used to do like that. And I'm sitting in the backseat, just amazed that dad is talking to this stranger. Hmm. 
Um, you know, stranger danger didn't even exist. I don't remember ever being taught that as a kid, but, um, you know, just the fear of that. I don't know if I can walk up to that guy and talk to him. How do adults do that? And, uh, you know, so that stuck with me. I think we're all shy. Um, and, but I reached a point where I said, if I want to get along with people, I've got to have rapport and have rapport. You tell the story. So that's what I am today. I'm a storyteller. Have you noticed? I love it. Love it, Warren. I think the thing I'm taking away the most from everything you said was that that concept of you are most likely not going to be in the business you're in now in 10 years. Like it's it's very unlikely that it will. Your still business be. is going to change. Yeah, at least some something significant will change. Yeah, the robots aren't going to come in and take all the job. But just like I work a lot less hard than my father did at the steel mill, mm-hmm. and his grandfather did on, on the on a farm. It, my kids, my grandkids are working less. Um, you know, we say dang millennials, they, you know, they never want to work, but that's not true. We're, you know, we're, we're good people. We want to do what's right, but I can't say that I've ever really had to work a day in my life. I mean, I've had to move some boxes to move my household at times and I've, you know, dug a hole and stuck a tree in it, but I've never had a job where I had to show up in every day, you know, wear extra protection so I don't kill myself lifting. Uh, you know, and, and, and all the things I've watched other people have to do, I've never had to sweep floors eh, a little bit, maybe in high school, but, um, you know, and, and a hammer. No, you know, I don't build things. I use my mouth and my brain and, uh, and, and I, you know, I, I feel very lucky that way, very much blessed, but it's changes. It changed from day to day. Uh, and now today with mobile, it's even more that way. We expect things to be there. We, if I buy something online and there's a store nearby, I don't want to talk to somebody about where I need to return it. I want to like, you know, go to my Walmart and they're going to take it back. And I'm not sure what Walmart's policy would be today, but today they probably would. In the nineties, that was our policy. We ships, ships across the country and we always guaranteed seven days. We are selling used laser printers, weighed 50 pounds. And if it got to you and you didn't like it, we would pay to have it returned to us. When I did that, it cost me a little bit in some extra shipping. But what it but what it really did was quadrupled my sales. Yeah. Because people knew they could trust us. Um and uh and and so I, today that's what I do. If you know, if everything I'm doing crashes today, if suddenly I can't travel anymore, I come up with something else to do. Uh you know, one of the first things I did was in in invest in Zoom. Um, and, uh, it's done pretty well this year. Can't, I'm not, these are not financial recommendations. (laughs) Um, that's the only one I've ever been able to get in on like that, that I felt very comfortable about. Oh yeah. The whole world's going to start using zoom. Um, and that's trends that are happening anyway. I guess, let me really emphasize that to close off. If you want to know what's going to happen in the future, count on it changing faster than you know what to do to keep up with it. And don't ever think you're going to go back. We are never going back to a pre-COVID world. It's impossible. We can't. Not only have we screwed up enough things in the, the handling of it, uh, but um, it's not just the, it's just not the, there's more effect on the world than just what happened to the people that uh, unfortunately got the disease or died. Uh, and so it's a different world now, but that's good news because the technology that is ready to imp- implement today, let's not talk about, how prevalent 5G will be five years from now. You could get 5G now, 
but you could do more with 4G. You could be doing more on your website. You could get more services. You could answer the phone a little bit quicker. You could do whatever it is you need to have done. There are better ways to do everything. And if you're not constantly innovating, you're just not going to keep up. Yeah. Well, Warren, I, I love your spirit. I love your ability to see things as they're happening and, and recognize that it is happening while the rest of us just kind of sit back and wait to see what goes on. So thanks for sharing all these stories. It's been like, I feel like it's both a history context lesson and a future lesson all at the same time. Like just seeing it all in, in context has been really fun. Uh, it's been my pleasure. So uh, I'm assuming you are an extremely easy guy to find online. Well, I know you are because I've found you in different things, but <laughs> any, anywhere specific you want to send listeners? Uh, yeah, you just anything Warren at Warren Whitlock, uh, in social media or whatever. My website's warrenwhitlock.com. Sterling Corp is a, is a company, uh, that is, uh, not much depth to what we do online directly, but we own other properties and we're developing some, uh, some technology to, uh, revolutionize publishing. And so it's kind of, that part's kind of in stealth mode right now, but Happy to talk to people about publishing, social media, whatever. Easiest thing to do is use a tweet. Let's have a public conversation. Let's help, you know, 40 other people while we're helping you. Cool. Well, Warren, thanks so much for being on the show. We appreciate it. My pleasure. This has been the Digital Workplace Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to leave a review wherever you Go to thedigitalworkplace.com and sign up for our twice-a-month newsletter keeps you up to date on the best ways to build a level five digital workplace. Music for the show is provided by City of Sound. I'm your host, Neil Miller. Keep moving forward.